The following broadcast is brought to you by Sons of God International and Freedom Fellowship Church. Hello, and welcome to the prophetic voice of our time, where we focus on the voice of prophecy, which is the testimony of Jesus Christ. Our host, Christina Sasso, is a senior pastor at Freedom Fellowship Church. Let's hear what she has to say to the body of Christ. Hello, thank you for tuning in. This is Joshua Sasso with Freedom Fellowship Church and Sons of God Ministries International, and you're listening to the prophetic voice of our time. You know, we are just a couple weeks away from Passover, and I really encourage you, you should really set aside time to celebrate the Passover with remembering that Jesus Christ is our Passover lamb, and then that same weekend we have Resurrection Sunday, which is the day that Jesus rose again from the grave, defeated sin and death forever and all time. And that truly is something we're celebrating. So that's very exciting. And that's coming up in the coming week. So I encourage you all set aside some time to celebrate Jesus Christ and the marvelous and wondrous things that he has done for us. You know that there's many things that are happening all across the world and all across the nation right now. And if you aren't focusing on God, it's very easy to look at the present situation and become discouraged. It's easy to get upset. You might feel like, oh, there's no justice in the world. Oh, where is God? You know, why aren't things happening? But the truth is, is that God is always in control and he is always doing things. In Habakkuk, the prophet Habakkuk was crying out to God. And he says in chapter one, he's like, look, everywhere I look, I see injustice. I see violence, right? When are you going to move, Lord? He says in Habakkuk 1 verse 4, he says, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous and justice is perverted, right? So he's looking around and he's just seeing wickedness. He's looking around and he's seeing that the law isn't able to do anything against the wicked. It's saying how the court systems have been corrupted, how justice no longer brings forth true justice, but instead it's been perverted, right? He's looking at all these things and he's saying, God, when are you going to do something about all of this? And the Lord answers him and he says, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. And this is something that God has told us for several years now, which is that by his mighty hand, he is going to do a miraculous and amazing thing in this nation, and that we will see the most righteous government that this nation has ever seen in its history. Now, just like Habakkuk, we might look at the present circumstances and think, oh, it's impossible, right? Because, oh, well, the media is corrupt. Oh, the court system is corrupt. Oh, you know, if we have another election, they're just going to cheat, right? We can say all of these cynical and doubtful things, but we have to remember the kind of God that we serve. So I encourage you in these days, focus on the Lord and what he is telling you to do. The most important thing we have to keep in mind is that our number one priority is wherever God is directing you right now in this moment. Because through our individual obedience, right, if each and every one of us start individually obeying God, what will happen is that we as a body will all start moving towards the will of God. And God 
is already moving in places. He is already positioning his people to prepare for this mighty move. So do not focus on the negative things that are happening in the world. Do not focus on what the wicked are doing. Focus on what God is leading you to do. Because Jesus tells us, right, in the last days, it'll be like a farmer where there's going to be wheat growing and then they sowed weeds in the midst of the crops. And the master of the field said to wait until both the wheat and the tares reach their full maturity, which means we're going to see the wicked reach their full maturity and we're going to see the righteous reach their full maturity. And then all of the tares were bound up and they were cast into the fire, right? So we need to focus on one completely maturing in Christ and stepping into our calling. That should be our number one priority. It doesn't matter what the current laws look like. It doesn't matter what the current circumstances look like. We have to put our faith and our trust in God. Because, you know, we serve a God who can turn any situation around for good, right? I mean, when the Israelites, God delivered them out from the Egyptians. He delivered all these plagues against the Egyptians until finally the Pharaoh said, okay, you can go. But the Pharaoh still changed his mind. And God led the Israelites through these mountains up to the Dead Sea, right? And then when they came up to the Dead Sea, behind them were the Egyptians, right? So they're surrounded on every side. Behind them is the sea. On either side, cliffs and mountains, they can't spread or run away. And then right in the path that they just came from is the Egyptians charging with their horses and chariots. So it seemed like God had led them into an impossibly hopeless situation, right? Why would God lead them to a circumstance that seemed so hopeless and impossible? Well, it was in that circumstance that God showed his mighty, mighty hand. And it was something that was undeniable because God parted the Red Sea so that the people of God could cross over as on dry land. So, in the same way, what God is going to do in this nation, he is going to do such a dramatic and miraculous thing that no one would be able to deny that it was the hand of God. They would have to admit, no, this has to be God. There's no other way that you could explain this. And in doing these things, nobody else will be able to take the credit. We won't be able to attribute it to a single person. Nobody will be able to stake a claim and say, it was because of me that this happened. No. The only one who will be able to get all the credit and the glory will be God. That is the kind of move that God is bringing to this nation. And it's going to transform our government. And it's going to transform every sector of society. Okay? So don't concern yourself about what the wicked are doing. Focus on what God's doing. It doesn't even matter, right, if the laws are already on the books. It doesn't even matter if the systems are already corrupted. You know, in the scripture, there's actually a circumstance like this. In the book of Esther, there was a man by the name of Haman who plotted against the people of God, right? All the Israelites. He created this plot to have all of them completely destroyed. And the reason why is because, you know, he was one of the king's right-hand men. And the king said, hey, anyone who sees Haman should bow in reverence towards him. But there was one man named Mordecai that refused to bow to him. And Haman was so upset at this, right? He was so disturbed and so angry. He wanted to know what kind of people Mordecai was from. And it wasn't just enough that he would have Mordecai destroyed. He wanted to destroy Mordecai and all of his people. So Haman goes to the king. And this is what we have to understand, okay? 
This is an important official who has influence and authority, and he had the ear of the king, right? So he could whisper in the king's ear and said, hey, you should do this, and the king would listen. This is the kind of influence and power that this wicked man had. So in Esther chapter 3, verse 8, it says that Haman said to King Xerxes, look, there is a certain people dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom who keep themselves separate. Their customs are different than those of all the other people, and they do not obey the king's laws. It is not in the king's best interest to tolerate them. If it pleases the king, let a decree be issued to destroy them all, and I will give 10,000 talents of silver to the king's administration for the royal treasury. So the king took his signet ring from his finger and gave it to Haman. Keep the money, the king said to Haman, and do with the people as you please. Right? So he starts whispering in the king's ear and turning them against the Israelites. So basically, the king gave Haman just a hands-free, do whatever you want. He gave him his seal so that he could write any law that he wanted and sign it with the king's seal. And this is important because any edict that has the king's seal cannot be revoked. So it says in the next verse, verse 12, they wrote out a script of each province and in the language of each people, all Haman's orders to the king's satraps, the governors of various provinces and the nobles of other people. They were written in the name of King Xerxes himself and sealed with his own ring. Okay, so it wasn't even written in Haman's name. It was written in the king's name and sealed with his ring. This is what the law said. Dispatchers were sent by couriers to the king's provinces with the order to destroy, kill, and annihilate all the Jews, young and old, women and children, on a single day, the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar, and to plunder their goods. A copy of the text of the edict was to be issued as law in every province and made known to the people of every nationality so they would be ready for that day. So, on this specific day, the 13th day of the 12th month, orders are given to annihilate and kill every single Jew in this kingdom, and then to plunder all their goods, right? So, it's a day where they're given free reign, and it was drafted into law, guys. This was made official according to the legal system of this kingdom, and it was made official in such a way that it could never be reversed. That's a hopelessly impossible situation. You're talking about a situation where we're now seeing government corruption, right? Corrupt officials, people working through state institutions against the people of God, right? What could the people of God hope to do in a situation like that, right? I want you to imagine if any kind of law, even remotely similar to this, were to come into effect today. Imagine a law, for example, that Maybe they make a law that any Christian cannot trade or do business or be loaned money or anything like that, right? What if there was a thing where maybe Christians could be freely stolen from and killed on a particular day, right? This is the kind of situation the people of God were facing. But despite these circumstances, God had already expertly been positioning people into important tactical positions to already handle this situation. We know that prior to this, King Xerxes had a dispute with the queen, and he had her banished. And so because of this, 
a search was made all across the kingdom to find beautiful young women that would be the next queen to replace Queen Vashti. So they sent a search out for beautiful young girls in every region, every province of the kingdom, and they brought them back to the capital to be prepared to meet the king. But there was one woman, right, by the name of Esther. And it says in Esther chapter 2, verse 17, Now the king was attracted to Esther more than any of the other women, and she won his favor and approval more than any of the other virgins. Okay, and you have to understand, this is as they were intentionally going to find the most beautiful women in the kingdom, right? So there were many women, all of whom were probably stunning, but God placed Esther there in a key position to prepare for when these events would transpire. So it says he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Now this is all before the law that Haman drafted got on the books. It says also in chapter 2 that Esther's cousin Mordecai, he was just sitting outside the gate in Exodus chapter 2 verse 23. And it says, during the time Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, became angry and conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. Right? Again, this is God expertly positioning his people. Mordecai just happened to be here and just happened to overhear the things that these guards were saying. So Mordecai found out about the plot and told Queen Esther, who in turn reported it to the king and gave credit to Mordecai, right? So Esther was placed in the right position at the right time. Mordecai was placed in the right position at the right time. So Esther takes what Mordecai tells her. She reports it to the king and gives Mordecai credit. It says, and when the report was investigated and found to be true, the two officials were impaled on poles. And all of this was recorded in the book of Annals in the presence of the king. Okay, so here God positions Esther, positions Mordecai, and then puts Mordecai in a circumstance where now the king might feel indebted to him, right? Where the king might feel like, oh, wow, I need to do something to honor this Mordecai guy because he saved my life, right? God was able to position him in such a place like this because after these things occur, after Esther's made queen, after Mordecai saves King Xerxes from this assassination attempt, that is when Haman's plan started to get into motion. And Mordecai hears about this new law that's been passed. And he goes to Esther and he tells her, look, you're the queen. You need to talk to King Xerxes and tell him to undo this wicked law. You have to tell him to do something about this. And he tells her, because, you know, Esther... She tells Mordecai, she's like, look, I haven't been summoned to the king for 30 days. And, you know, there's customs. You can't just throw yourself into the throne room and do as you please. This is what Mordecai says to Esther, though. And many of you are probably very familiar with this. It says in Esther chapter 4, verse 13, Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you came to your royal position for such a time as this. And so Esther said, Go gather all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day, 
I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Now, this is something that's very important to understand, is that even though Esther and Mordecai were both positioned by God, notice Mordecai's faith. He says, even if you don't obey God, even if you don't do the right thing, God is going to bring deliverance for his people in another way. Notice his faith. And this is what we have to understand. All of us are given opportunities to obey God. But there is a limited time that we will be able to answer the call of God. That door will not be open indefinitely. If you don't take your post, eventually God will have to raise somebody else up who will take your post instead. And you will have missed out on being a part of the move of God. Okay? And in the case of this situation, they only had so much time to act because Haman had drafted into the law on the 13th day of the 12th month. It is now legally official that you are to go out and kill, annihilate, and plunder all of the Jews in the kingdom. Right? So they even had a limited time in this circumstance. But we have to admire the faith of both Mordecai and Esther. Because Mordecai says, even if you don't do the right thing, God's going to deliver his people. Then Esther says, I'm going to go to the king, even if it's illegal, right? Even if it's against the law, I'm going to go there and make my petition. And if I perish, then I perish. She was willing to put her own life on the line, right? But because of their faith and obedience, God turned around an impossible situation. So Esther goes and she talks to the king and she gets him to come to a couple of her banquets until she's finally able to confront him. And Esther, basically, she invited both King Xerxes and and Haman to this banquet. And she says to the king, look, this man has now drafted into law and conspired to kill me and all of my people, right? And because Esther found favor with the king, he was so enraged by this, he had Haman put to death. And the amazing thing is that Haman, in his own house, had set up a pole on which he was going to hang and impale Mordecai, right? So he had all this thing planned out, right? I'm going to have this law, they're going to kill all the Jews, and then I'm going to have Mordecai impaled in my backyard. That was his plan. And so when the king had heard about all the things Haman had done and how he was going to have the queen killed and all of her people killed, the king sought it in his mind that he was going to put Haman to death immediately. So it says in Esther chapter 7, It says, then Harbunah, one of the Enochs attending the king, said, hey, there's a pole reaching to a height of 50 cubits that stands by Haman's house. He had it set up for Mordecai, who spoke up to help the king. The king said, and I want you to notice it, right? The attendant brings up the fact, hey, Mordecai saved you from this assassination attempt in the past, right? So he had it set up for Mordecai, this guy who helped save you from this assassination attempt. So the king said, impale him on it. So they impaled Haman on the pole he had set up for Mordecai. Then the king's fury subsided. So here, this thing that, Mord- that Haman had planned for Mordecai, those plans now fell on his own head. God turned those things around. Those things that were intended for wicked, they now fell on the very head of the one who created those plans. The next thing that happened, though, is that there's still this law that's in place. It was sealed with the king. Right? His signet seal was on this law that allowed them to attack and pillage all of the Jews. 
on the 13th day of the 12th month. So Esther pleads with the king and he says, is there something you could do about this law? Is there some way we can overrule this law? And so what he does as a solution is he gives Esther and Mordecai permission to write another law and seal it with the signet ring. And this is a really cool thing. They can't, they can't undo the law that's already on the books, but they created another law. And this law was written as follows. It says that the king's new edict that was, you know, created according to the approval of Mordecai and Esther, it says the king's new edict granted the Jews in every city the right to assemble and protect themselves, to destroy, kill, and annihilate the armed men of any nationality or province who might attack them and their women and children, and to plunder the property of their enemies. The day appointed for the Jews to do this in all the provinces of King Xerxes, the 13th day of the 12th month of Adar, the same day this other edict was going to pass. A copy of the text of edict was to be issued as law in every province and made known to the people of every nationality so the Jews would be ready on that day to avenge themselves and their enemies, right? So they couldn't undo the old law, right? But they made a new one. The Jews can defend themselves if people attack them. It's a simple change, right? But the scripture says that when that day came, the 13th day of the 12th month of Adar, it says that, one, the fear of God came upon all the people that tried to oppose the Israelites, and two, every person that attacked them, the Israelites had victory on every side. Okay? This is just one example of how God took a situation where there was political corruption, there was even legal precedent for destruction of God's people, right? So we see that the king's advisors were corrupted, the courts were corrupted, the laws were corrupted. But despite all of that, God turned the situation around and what was going to be a day of defeat, a day of misery, a day of death, turned into a day of victory for the people of God. And God will do the same even in these days. And that is something that is so miraculous. And even now, he is positioning his people, right? Strategically positioning them in the right place. But it's up to every single one of us individually, right? So don't go looking to these individual people. You individually need to obey God. God is positioning even you, even now, into a place to obey him and make a change in your realm of influence. But that door and that opportunity to obey him will not be open forever. So you need to decide for yourself, it doesn't matter what happens to me, I'm going to obey God. You need to determine that in your heart. And what happens after this is Mordecai and Esther, both of them rose in fame and authority and prominence. It says that in chapter 10 that Mordecai the Jew became second in rank to King Xerxes, preeminent among the Jews, and was held in high esteem by his many fellow Jews because he worked for the good of his people and spoke up for the welfare of all the Jews. Okay, so Mordecai became the second most influential man in all of the kingdom, right? This is a transfer of influence and affluence, guys. Those who obey God are going to be used by him mightily and they're going to step into positions of influence. So, don't lose faith. Don't focus on the bad things. 
Focus on God and what you can do to obey him because he can turn any situation around for good. And notice how even before the problem arose, he had already positioned Esther and Mordecai and other important people in this story. Before this law was even on the books, he already positioned his people and he's doing it even now. And if you become sensitive to his leading and you begin obeying the Holy Spirit in every area of your life, you will find yourself that the Holy Spirit will also begin positioning you where you need to be. So obey the Lord now. Don't delay. But I'm running out of time. So I want to thank you so much for tuning in. It's been such a pleasure speaking with you. As always, if you want to support this ministry, I encourage you to go to our website, SOGMI.org. But that's all the time I have for today. Again, my name is Joshua Sasso, and you've been listening to the prophetic voice of our time. Until next time. God bless you. Thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to the prophetic voice of our time. We really hope you were blessed by today's episode. And if you were, we want to hear from you. You can call us at 210-695-1630. Or you can email us at sogmi at outlook.com. That's S-O-G-M-I at outlook.com. And we really encourage you to visit our website, sogmi.org. That is S-O-G-M-I.org. That's where you can listen to previous episodes of this podcast and even support this podcast. We're supported by listeners just like you. So if you want to support this ministry, you can go to SOGMI.org and hit the donate button. You can also send a check to P.O. Box 1579, Lotus, Texas 78023. Again, that is P.O. Box 1579, Lotus, Texas 78023.